Welcome to Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak, where we explore the tools and tactics that drive improvement. If you're hungry for more and better, if you want to move past hype and discuss how, you're in the right place. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine. Today, my guest is Mike Kading. Mike is the CEO of Norhart. Norhart uh, builds and manages apartment complex and has been doing some really remarkable things in the industry. In fact, what's remarkable about Mike and his team is their passion for innovation and technology to transform things. Uh, they had a 60-year-old kind of static culture of typical construction. And if you don't know, I, I was just with another client recently and we talked about this. This is kind of a truism that the construction industry is generally behind all these other industries in terms of technology and innovation. It's a slow, careful, steady. Now there's efficiency and excellence, but in terms of new creative methods or tools, those tend to come out slower. And Mike and his team, uh, as you'll hear uh, his story, through some marvelous naivete and visionary combination have attempted and accomplished some things that are pretty unique. So I think you're going to have a great time listening to Mike and hearing talk about it. I know I'm looking forward to this conversation. Welcome Mike Kading, CEO of Norhart. Mike, I'm excited to get to know you. Uh, had some fun getting ready for this podcast, getting to know you, but Honestly, I also deliberately held back a few of the questions when we're getting to know you to kind of get to know a bit of your story. Thanks for some time, man. I'm looking forward to diving in here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Sweet. All right. So let's let okay, let's start. I, I gave them the brief overview of what you've done uh, and what you're doing, right? How in the world did you get into this? This is not like most kids. I've, I've got kids, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? This is this is not one of the options most people even consider. Like, how'd you end up doing this, man? Yeah. You know, my parents originally started the business. It was a small real estate company and we would be building just a few units per year. And I remember fun little trips where my, it was family outings where us and our family would go to the local hardware store about a half an hour away and pack up full of different building materials and supplies and drive on back. We were working on these buildings throughout the summer. And uh, eventually I went off to college and when I did so, I looking back, I really wanted nothing to do with the family business. And huh. as I think more about it today, I think the reason that was is because I didn't want people to think it was given to me. Mm. So I really wrestled with my own ego at that time. And my dad really wanted me to join. Um, but what I realized deep down is that I really wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. Yeah. Right? I didn't want to waste my life. And what I started to understand is that I could take this small business and grow it much larger to make that kind of impact. Mm. And so I did jump in eventually with my dad, but within just a couple of years, my dad um, unexpectedly passed away. Oh man. Yeah. And overnight we lost him. But looking back, there was a silver lining. There was a bit of mm. magic to it. Mm. And that was that, I really didn't know what I was doing. Certainly a lot of problems there. Hold on. That's the silver lining is that you had no yes. idea what you were doing. Because what I learned is that ignorance is an asset, huh. right? We could start questioning everything. 
there was nobody to tell us, no, we could try new ways to do things in our industry of construction and building these buildings. There's a lot of, we're just stuck in this old way of doing it. Oh, and yeah. as a result, you, you, you want know. to talk about old industries, right? Like construction. I don't, I don't know if you get a lot old, maybe agriculture, but like the two might be the two oldest industries ever, ever. Right. So there's, you want to talk about a group with a lot of, uh, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Absolutely. And in fact, if you look at the past 60 years, other industries like manufacturing have improved by 760% where air right, or, uh, right. construction has done nothing. They've stayed <laughs> flat. And so this is an opportunity for us yeah, to change that to solve housing affordability. That's interesting. Okay. So uh, let me, I'll just react to one part you said, because I have experienced this myself. It's a big part of my story. I really want to make a difference with my life, right? That was kind of, uh, so long story short for me, I had gone off, had a successful career actually as a performer uh, on the stage. I was a child actor, recorded albums, was on NBC for a Christmas special. I mean, all this crazy stuff, right? As a kid. So everyone's like, you got gifts, you got to do this. But but I I walked away from that because I thought I want to make a difference in the world. It's not to say you can't do that in entertainment, but, but I had this mindset that there were certain career paths that made a difference to people's lives. And then there was stuff that just didn't, right? Like, uh, I mean, that's fine, but it's a boring old job and it doesn't help. And then, and then after doing some very noble career stuff for a while in the nonprofit world, another long story short, kind of woke up to the power of leadership and strategy and organization building and all this unsexy stuff that turned out to actually have a lot of impact on people's lives. And then where that eventually led me is now we spend most of our time as a consulting firm helping companies in the categories of construction, manufacturing, technical services. I mean, probably two thirds of our clients have been this kind of B2B technical, non-consumer, non-sexy stuff. I, I say that because what I've discovered is in tremendous amount of life change is possible. So so part of my years I spent as a pastor working with churches, right? That oh, was wow. nonprofit stuff. And I had a really good life on life mentoring relationship would be like, I would get maybe two hours a week. Sometimes it was two hours a month. And those were deep relationships, right? Mm. And then I became a boss leading teams, right? I don't know if this resonates with you or not, but like yeah. the life on life impact I can have with my team, that alone is like, oh my gosh, this is more powerful mentoring and life shaping and bonding than I got when my job was to go mentor all these people. Um yeah, I, so so there's a whole host of world-changing, life-shaping activity that I just blew off because it was like, I mean, it's not the sexy, cool, you know, apartment construction would not have been like, hey, how can I change the world? This is the key, right? Like, and I just wonder how many times people are blowing off the the stuff that God's put in their lap, like the opportunities in front of them because because it's not the thing they thought was how you do it, right? Like, I, we're going to make a difference. Can't, yeah, you can't do it in this industry. Like, yeah, surely. I, I went out to school for computer science, mathematics and management and some other things. Yeah. And it was all about like tech and robotics and AI. And certainly that's had a significant impact. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But if the entire world goes to just those industries, there's so much of the rest of the world that's being ignored. And sometimes the biggest positive impact you can have is just by identifying the need that somebody has in something that nobody else sees. And for yes. me, that was housing and construction, but it could be different for you. No, I, 100%. And I'll just throw some random stuff out before we get back into your story. But like, 
I've had some friends make huge impact. Uh, and a guy went into cardboard, right? Cardboard boxes. And you're like, could you get more boring? But like, I don't, I don't <laughs> know what your Amazon habits are like, but I'm like, oh no, that's, that might've been a smart move. There's a lot of cardboard <laughs> out there right now, but, but his teams, his warehouses, another guy. Um, yeah, he is the pallet maker. They just make like the wooden pallets. I mean, he's like, listen, we don't even sand our wood. Like that's how basic we get, but he's, he's making huge impact in lives in the community. And he's like, somebody has got to build them. So maybe we do it with excellence. What does that mean for my team? What does that mean for the people we serve? So yeah, there's, there's tremendous opportunity, maybe expressly in the spaces everyone else wants to overlook because they're not as, as sexy or exciting as AI or robotics, right? Um, exactly. It might be the big opportunities are in these spaces everyone else thinks are too boring, which then come back to it like, okay, so you don't go into it and do what everyone else is doing. And again, ignorance as an asset, that is backwards to what most of us are thinking, right? Like when we're yeah. hiring people, when we're thinking about where we should go career-wise, I don't have any experience. And what you're suggesting is that might be the very thing that helps you do better. So hi, give me some examples. Where were things that you guys did that's like, nobody does it that way. Like you can't do that or that, that doesn't work. Like where were you just too ignorant to know you shouldn't try it and it turned out to be valuable? Can you give me some examples? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say first that ignorance is a real pain at times though too, right? Because you get <laughs> okay. on a lot of failed routes. Okay, so, was, so ignorance is a painful, valuable asset, right? Yes, but, okay. but I think people miss is, is there is an asset there as well. Mm. You know, one of the early things that happened to us is I had a plumber that came to me and said, Mike, you know, I know we've been doing these buildings for you for a while, but unfortunately we've got to triple, triple the price of the plumbing work that we do for you going forward. I dude, I just can't pay for that. And uh, we kind of looked at each other and started talking it through a little bit. We looked at other plumbers. No one else was inexpensive. And so we're like, well, can we do this ourselves? Like, why not? We're just gluing pipe together, right? Yeah. <laughs> we bought a bunch of books. We started selling plumbing. We got someone on staff who kind of knew, had some uh, passion for plumbing. And then we got a bunch of people that had no idea brought them all together. And I'm telling you that first year of plumbing was terrible. Huh. <laughs> it was really hard, but that set us down this journey where now today we have an amazing plumbing department, but we took it so much further. See, in the world of construction, the work is so segmented. You have different owners doing different aspects of the job. Right. You have a different company coordinating all the construction. You have a different company that's all of your subcontractors, mm. a different company that uh, owns the building and manages it. And we started bringing all this under one roof. You know, if a construction company were to produce cars, you'd yeah. have a different company installing the windshield, a different company installing the door, and a different company uh, installing the wheel. Yeah. And then the wheel company would get delayed on another project. They wouldn't be out there for two weeks. And when they did come out, your line would be shut down. But when they did come out, they would be irate because they could only work on one car at a time. You know, the world of manufacturing looks at us and says, we're crazy but that's how we do it in construction. So it was one of the first things we changed, but that just opened up a well of other opportunities for change as well. That is a great analogy because I've worked in both spaces and uh, uh -huh. you're right in construction is just like, oh, well, I mean, that's what you do. there's trades, you got to work with all the different trades. Uh, that's just how this game is played. So the, the <laughs> uh, this is a great, such a great example. The ignorance of it was probably harder than you thought, right? Like, yes, it's just pipes. Well, no, apparently there's a little more technical mastery to it than that. Yeah. 
but that doesn't mean you can't learn it and that you don't have huge benefits now. You have a plumbing department, it sounds like. It's like yeah. an internal team that that does plumbing in a variety of places and figures all that out versus a, another trade with their own markup and their own timelines and all that stuff. You, they, they just integrate in. That's really interesting. Yeah. We wanted to, at one point we wanted to roll out internet to our residents to kind of make that experience more flawless. And yeah. I remember literally everyone telling us it's a stupid idea. Don't, don't build out your own internet service provider. Well, <laughs> we didn't know how hard it was. And so we just started <laughs> building it and we literally built out all the technology for internet service provider from scratch. Huh. Looking back, it was really a painful journey, but now we have this amazing experience for a resident where they get top tier internet don't need to sign up for anything. It's just automatically there and available for them. So there's there's so many examples like that for us. That's really interesting. Okay, so how long did it take between, and I'm generalizing a lot here, but like, so what I've experienced, there's a dip in a lot of the learning curve, uh -huh. right? Is that the first thing you do is it gets worse. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then sometimes the mistake I've made is I get it gets worse and I'm like, oh, this must be a bad path because now life got harder. We should go back, right? Well, no, all learning has this dip. And if you push through the dip and get to the other side, it gets amazing, right? Yeah. The benefits, but there's a dip. How long of a dip are you guys finding? Like, cause this is one of the tensions I wrestle with is cause sometimes that doesn't mean there aren't bad choices, right? I mean, sometimes I have been like, this is just worse period. There's no, there's no upside. Like I just should probably stop doing that dumb thing versus no, this has, this has legs. This is going to be worth it. If we push through the dip, how deep of a dip, how long of a dip, like how do you guys manage knowing, okay, we should keep going. This has got potential versus like, Hey, we should back up a year, two years, three years. I mean, at what point do you say this is too deep of a trough for us to try to chase? How do you, how do you do that calculation? Yeah. So those, that dip is real. It's yeah. very real. We experience it every time we try something new, it gets worse and harder before it gets better. The, the, the period of time for most of our things is one to two years before we see it turn around. Uh, you can speed that up substantially if you hire on someone who knows what they're doing, or yeah. you can get a lot slower if you don't hire on good people that aren't learning what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I often have to coach people through that because it is very common for people to start becoming depressed or sad by the, the situation that they're in. Yeah. But the reality is whenever we start something new, we are terrible at it. <laughs> That's true for everyone. It's true for humankind. Right? <laughs> when you started out in this world, you could not walk. You could not talk. You could not do basic arithmetic. Yeah. What's kind of interesting is as you get older, you start to think, well, when I start something new, it should be good right out of the gate. Huh. But as a kid, you don't think like that. As a kid, you're like, I'm the best singer ever, right? <laughs> you're just into it. Yes. And I think it's important to hold on to that when we get older, to be okay with that it's going to be terrible at first. Mm. You know, one study I saw that was really interesting is they took a group of people and broke them up into two segments. Group one was told to make a clay pot, but their job was to make one pot that was really good. Mm. Group number two was told to make as many clay pots as they could. No stipulation on quality. Hmm. Well, it turns out group one, their first pot was better than the first pots of group two. Yeah. But if you look at the last pots of group two, they were far better than group one. And that's what I've learned in life. 
the biggest, most important thing you do is step out there, take action and fail, but fail and iterate. And if you can do that and do that well, you're going to crush it. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, I've seen that that pot story, the pot principle, oh, I could title it, uh, play out lots of times in my life. Um, and I've seen it show up in lots of different studies. I mean, they from, from entrepreneurship, right? Where they say, hey, people's generally speaking, especially in the early days, no, the super successful versus the ones who are not are not actually have a better batting average. They fail just as much as the other ones. The difference is they just try 10 times more and so what do you know? One of those hits and they have a big success. And they're like, yeah, you, you're really lucky. Like, no, I just tried 10 times more. So my chances of getting a, a win were 10 times better than the other guys. Now, there is a real thing. Once you get a certain number of wins under your belt, the learning, it gets easier. And so the late stage guys look like, but maybe this is where the myth comes from. We tend to pay attention to people who've already made it, right? Mm. And so now they've already thrown 300 pots and uh, and we're like, look, look at how good they are at, at making a pot, right? And we're like, gosh, I'm not that good. And so we quit. Like, well, they weren't that good on pot one either. Um, but we we only like to study people who are already master potters. Uh, I'm I'm pushing my pottery terminology to its limits here. I'm not sure. Yeah. This is correct. I, was, I was talking to a uh, large YouTuber recently and I was just asking him like, dude, how did you get to be so successful at what you're doing with all the you know, millions of views and what yeah, have yeah. you? And uh, he said something to me that I won't so- soon forget. It's really simple. He said, I hit record. Right. So the vast majority of people that want to get into space don't even take the first step of just hitting record. Interesting. Yeah. That resonates a lot. Uh, I was just listening, talking to us about professional speaking. That's part of what I do. And the guy was like, okay, what's the best advice? What's this? And this other professional speaker said, yeah, it wasn't a strategy. It wasn't a nuance. It was the fact that I ended up in a job or speaking was required a lot. And so I spoke on average weekly. And what do you know, that weekly requirement to create content and put it in front of people that, I mean, that's it, the reps, he just put in the reps, right? Um, He just hit record. He just stood up in front of people. It's like, I actually wasn't that much better than anyone when it started. I mean, I can go back and tell you exactly. I'm not trying to be humble, like legitimately. And I could say the same. Sometimes people talk like, Oh man, you know, I, I I get paid to speak and like, oh, you're so good. You must be born with this. I'm like, I mean, I grew up on stage. Um, by the time I graduated high school, I'd probably done a couple hundred, right, you know, stage events and presentations and monologues and all this stuff in front of people. Like, is that skill or is that just like if you just hammer at something, you throw enough exactly. pots, what do you know? So, okay. This gets into one of the things I want to talk about, because I've heard this advice a hundred times. I think this is not the first time probably most of our listeners have heard this advice. I will say, I think where most of the people I talk to fail back, where I've struggled is is the self-identity, the self-management, the Mm self-leadership, right? Because I I don't like the feeling of failure. How, How, what do you say? You say you coach people through this, right? What do you say? Imagine you're talking to somebody who's listening right now. There's probably, I I probably got a bunch of them that are like, oh man, I'm there. I tried something. It went badly. I want to quit and go back. Um, In fact, right before we recorded this, I was talking to a guy I'm mentoring who is trying a new thing and getting some, some pretty hard pushback from his team. Um, And he's like, what do I do? Do I keep going or do I quit on this? So I don't know. What do you actually say to the people on 
again, let's assume the strategy is there, like the the intellectual, like, hey, this internet will be valuable if we could ever figure this thing out. Plumbing will be useful, but but oh my gosh, this is way harder than I thought. And I feel like I'm a failure right now, even though intellectually I know we're supposed to be doing this. Mm. What do you say to people you're leading like that, Mike? Like, what, when you coach them, what do you actually tell them? Yeah, well, for me at least, one of the first things is, is to sympathize, right? To be mm. empathetic and understand the situation that they're in and kind of feel it with them because then you can kind of get back on their level and then the second thing i would say is to celebrate the wins and so often then we look back and say okay yeah it's really tough right now but you know i know we're not where we need to be but look at the plumbing you guys have now figured out hex plumbing you got a really cool tool to make that work you see that little improvement we can keep those little improvements up we're we're on a good trajectory here this is going to get better with time yeah, you know, it's so much fundamentally about mindset. You know, I'm I'm doing some stuff on YouTube and social media and stuff as well. Sure. And uh, our video is getting a decent amount of following, even though being pretty new. But what's really interesting to me is that I can get a, actually a good chunk of negative uh, thumbs down on YouTube. And it's really quick initially to think, oh, shoot, yeah. the video is terrible. I'm doing bad. Like, I'm just done. And then the next video, it's like, oh, that one skyrocketed. Like, okay, I'm not a bad. You're just trying different things out. And the really interesting thing I'm finding recently is that people who th- thumb it down, I actually am starting to wonder if that's a positive signal in some of these environments. Because huh. it's showing that you're creating content that's engaging people, that's making people think, and then maybe making people disagree with you, which isn't a bad thing. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, okay. There's multiple things in here I could underline, but like that last one, I think too many times my definition of success is everybody likes me, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's that's not really the the goal. I mean, you said the goal is more engagement, getting them thought provoking, not necessarily everyone agreeing with everything. I, I mean, bluntly, if I was to be honest, I don't agree with everything I say, right? <laughs> like sometimes I'm like. Uh, I don't think that anymore. I've grown and changed or, or I'll just throw stuff out when I'm talking and I'm like, Oh crap, that's, that's probably not the best way of saying that. Um, but the fact that, that people think processing and grow is actually more valuable to me than everybody like me. Cause if they it all, is, uh, was it William Hung? I, I had an opportunity to meet him. He was really famous on, um, America's got talent for yes. being terrible. Yes, the singer who was uh, you know, criticized and went on to do it anyway. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, it was really interesting hearing his story and why he even got on stage to do that as we were talking. But I think the most interesting insight there... Can I... So I've not talked to him, and I, this may be uh, maybe not relevant, but I, I literally just had this discussion last week with some folks. And and I've, so I've not followed him in ages. I remember him vividly from back in the day, but... Was he keenly aware? Was he aware that people were telling him he was bad and he, why he was famous? Or did he still believe like, no, I've got this. So I don't know. Did, I don't know how recently you talked to him. Do you... I just just a, a month or two ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think so there did might he be... believe them and do it anyway for the notoriety of it. Or did he say, no, no, I've got this talent and they're all wrong. I'm Yeah. Well, for him, he did have a little belief in himself. I think in part because he was at a college, I forgot, like Purdue or something. And he won the talent show of Purdue. Really? He just won it for that act. And I think probably the reason they, they gave it to him is just so weird and funny and goofy, right? Yes. And so he went on America's Talent and it failed. And it, uh, 
And he was talking about what it was like talking with Simon Call and all that. Yeah. But uh, I think the really interesting insight there is his failure ultimately ended up being a massive success for him. Yeah. Because uh, now he has a platform, he has an audience, he has people that know, like, and trust him. And he can he does so many great things with that as a result. Yeah. And so even things that people will give you a thumbs down is not a bad thing. It's actually can be a really positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Because uh, they're probably a lot less um, weird, a lot less more standard singers, right? Who did a good job on the same show. And nobody will remember them. Exactly. Exactly. We do not need to win the the entire crowd. We just we ever heard that that old there's an old a famous blog post about one thousand true fans uh, by Kevin mm. Kelly. You just need one thousand true fans, and he does some math, and he's like, there's two or three different price points, but you know, one thing a year for a uh, hundred bucks, a thousand true fans, that's a life. Like you could live a pretty good life for that much money, um, and that's if you only make one thing a year that people will buy. So yeah, he's like, forget trying to win the world, get true fans, get raving fans. And that, that small set of raving fans can change everything. So yeah, I was watching a documentary on Jordan Peterson last night and he's kind of a polarizing figure. I'm not speaking to his, what he's doing positive or negatively, but what's really interesting is because he is a polarizing figure to a degree, he's taking a stand on something that some people don't agree with him. It's actually exploded his platforming. He's incredibly pretty well known for what he's doing because he's willing to take a stand and let people disagree with him. No, I, I agree. I've been a part of a couple different projects that were worried about controversy. And uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this publicly, but I'm like, we, we ended up never having a big controversy, but my advice is like a board member was like, you know, that might not be the worst thing for us. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I don't want to see, I'm not trying to be a punk or pick a fight, but if we end up in the middle of a big public fight, that, well, I'll put it this way. I was one of the senior leaders at Chick-fil-A when, when huge public news went nuts about them. This is many years back, um, about, and this is a whole long story short, by the way, a, a huge part of what the news media said about them was not true. They misquoted and misattributed, misattributed and, and there's something there to debate. There's a real debate to be had, but the news took it like what, what could have been a debate this big and made it, you know, a hundred X and exaggerated and messed it all up. And I kept mm-hmm. telling Kathy's, I, I know him personally, like, I hey, guys, you should, you should probably go correct the record. And then for what, whether they're right or wrong, their philosophy was, ah, I don't know, I think anything we say is just going to go worse. But but I remember we were freaking out because I'm part of the leadership team and the guys that we were talking and the executives, I, we canceling trips and like, oh no. And I remember our founder, Truett, um, he was still alive and engaged at the time. And he's like, oh man, there's no such thing as bad press. And they could be like, no, no, sir. This is bad press. Like they're this is it. We're in trouble. Uh, and they did engage and they they did they end up doing some um kind of storytelling to say, hey, here's what we actually do. But I say all that to say, yeah, that ended up being like the best sales month they'd had in 15 years. It, even though it looked terrible on the news, their true fans were like, Hey, we love you guys, we got this. Um, so no, I, I wouldn't chase controversy, but mm-hmm. I think we're terrified it'll wreck us and, um, you know, even failing, even messing up and then come having to go apologize might not be the worst thing ever. And I think so much of our lives, our unstated strategy is to avoid failure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, 
What can I do? Even even people listening to this podcast, right? What can I do to make my life better and improve? And I'm going to learn from my Kading because this guy did it. So now I won't fail. And and I guess like I'm just pausing to make sure they don't miss this. Maybe one of the most critical things to have success is to be willing to go do things you're not good at and be okay with the fact that you're going to be not good at them and let yourself fail a while and throw a bunch of pots, right? Um, and not not try to make the pot perfect. Just make a hundred of them and see what happens. That's a good word for me too, man. Uh, okay. So there's one other piece you went into this. I want to talk about your team. You made this little comment and it just resonated with me because it's one of the things I've talked a lot about leaders. We talk about mm-hmm. excellence in your team. And I say the single best thing to have operational excellence is to hire with excellence. Mm-hmm. And when we, we do consulting with companies, a lot of the problems we see in terms of operations and execution and, and discipline is really just bad hiring finally showing up, right? Um, you can put all these cool systems in the world. You can do the, uh, you could coach to the level of my cating, right? Like sit down, but if it's somebody who's not got the vision, got the wiring, well, actually that's where I want to go. You said hiring the right people made all the difference, right? Um, what do you look for? Do you look for plumbing experts uh, and that's it? Are there other traits you're looking for besides, you know, the technical expertise? What makes the kind of person who's willing to do this? If we're picking our team and and if it's true that that's one of the most important things we do, what do you look for? Yeah. So I'll answer that question, but let me frame it first. Good. You know, for us, we're fighting to find and we work to hire the very best people. And Mm. when we say that, I mean, I literally mean the world's best. And so to give you some flavor of that, we, uh, one of our staff members, you know, Steve Jobs announces the iPhone in 2007, he walks off stage and our our employee walked on that same stage following Steve Jobs' presentation. It's that kind of level of person. We fly people in from other states every week to come work here and then fly them home on the weekend because they're best in the world at what they do. And this is the one thing that I have learned that has totally changed the game for me. In fact, we went from growing about 10 to 15% per year to more or less doubling in size every year because of this principle. People often look at me and say, Mike, I can't hire that kind of person. They're really expensive. Right. And yes, it's true. They're expensive on a per person basis because you have to pay them top of market. Yeah. But what people fail to understand is that the best people outperform the average by two to five to 10 times as much. Mm. And I've seen it over and over and over again. I'm really passionate about that. And when you look at then the cost per how much they're producing, the cost is actually less. So when you tell me you can't afford to hire the best, my response is you can't afford not to. Yeah. So we bring on that kind of caliber person, but we're faced with a lot of the same challenges our others do. How do you actually bring the people on? Well, there's a lot to it, but I'll give you some of the sense. In the world of construction, it's one of the hardest jobs to fill out there today. There's so much demand for it. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of you know, other companies that all gripe about how they post stuff on Indeed and they don't get responses and the candidates they get aren't very good. And we had the same problem. In fact, I had lots of failures along those lines. In fact, we used a temp service for a while, which was a disaster. <laughs> so we just sat down and had an honest look at ourselves in the mirror and said, what do we do differently? I said, well, if we really want the best people, they're not applying for jobs. And 
fact, they're working for these other companies. We've got to identify and find them and build relationships with them over time to court them to come here. Mm. So we ended up hiring on 14 recruiters. And our company is only 250 people today. Yeah. 14 recruiters. And now we have a whole team. That's all they do is work to find, identify who's best in the world of what they're doing and build relationships over with them with time so we can pull them on in. That's one thing. I got more if you want more, but that's, no, that's, that's the first. brilliant because this is uh, one of the tactical things I think, you know, I love to talk about. It's not just, oh, we should care more, but like you put a team together to go find, and this is another example. It sounds like of a principle, a pattern I'm seeing here. Um, most people would say, hey, then I need to hire a recruiting firm, right? Mm-hmm. An extern, it'd be just like working with a plumbing trade, right? Hey, I got to hire this external team and hope they figure it out where you said, if it's core to our work, if we're going to do it again and again, maybe we should develop that competency ourselves. And that's not to say, it, my guess is your first round of internal recruiters probably would have underperformed what an external group would have done, right? Your first pot was probably not as good as theirs. Mm-hmm. But over time, the value of having your own team do this, again, it, I'm 100% with you. The best people are not just, uh, they might cost 20% more than everyone else, even 50% more. Mm-hmm. But if they're truly the best, they'll they'll perform way more value. In And that's the way to think about most of this stuff. It's not just what it costs, it's what do you get for what it's cost. Um, exactly. I'll sometimes talk about like, you know, everyone says it's price. It's not, it's not about how expensive it is. If I, if I went out to my yard, I, you know, here, my home office, I went and go grabbed a big granite rock. We got a lot of granite here in George where I'm at. Um, and I, I tried to sell you a granite rock for a thousand bucks, the size of my fist. And like, that's, that'd be expensive. Right. But if somehow I randomly pulled across a, a diamond, the size of my fist and wanted to sell you that for a thousand bucks, Okay, now it's not expensive anymore. Now that's a really good deal and you'd be an idiot not to buy that diamond. It's not the price, it's what do you get for the price? Exactly. And, and I'm going to reflip what you're saying. Getting an an air quotes average worker at average prices is actually more expensive to your company than finding somebody two states away who's truly the best at what they're doing. Exactly. That's really good. And not only are you getting great work output from them, but a lot of the human HR kind of culture team building issues start to fade away. And you actually, what's really cool, like our teams, there's like events going on probably twice a week right now. Hmm. None of those are created by the company. They are inspired and started by the people that are here because they all want to do cool stuff. They meet other cool people in the company. They Put it on and, and put, it's just phenomenal. You just get great people in the room and it changes the game. A hundred percent. I have lived this. Um, I mean, it is the single biggest factor that drives that. I'll put it this way. I've said, if you, if you have great people and no systems, to your point, the events, they'll figure it out, right? If they're truly the greats, they'll make up a system. Now, if you have a great system and bad fit people, I mean, listen, I think God loves us all and we're all, you know, generally worthy of dignity and respect, but but that doesn't mean everybody's a good fit for every role in every company, right? So you got yeah. somebody who's not the right match and you put world-class systems around them. Um, they're they're going to fight that. I mean, it'll be tension. And so one of the, the tests I'll say to leaders is how do you know if you need to hire better? How do you know if you need to build a better hiring system and team and all that? 
is if you feel like you have to play tug of war with your team, constantly you're on one side of the rope pulling to make sure they're doing their job and they're showing up with excellence. You feel like you have to constantly put on these events to your example, right? To, to try to build morale. You And if you're like, oh, if I ever stop pulling on this rope, it'll all slide back down. Yeah, then you need to hire better. Um, they mm-hmm. should all be on the same side of you, pulling the rope against your goals, against your competition, against your, your problems you're solving. Now, that's not to say we don't need leaders, right? I mean, we still... We're all, we need all pull in the same direction. And that's that's the problem I've occasionally found. So one of my mentors at Chick-fil-A, one of the, the early presidents, the right hand of the founder, um, Jimmy Collins would say, not the Jim Collins, but Jimmy Collins. Uh, <laughs> so he said all the time though, hey man, I would much rather restrain a Mustang than kick a mule. So when we were looking for hiring, like, yeah, occasionally you got to tell them like, easy there, Scott, right? I appreciate, I actually did get told this a few times there, like easy. <laughs> Uh, we don't want to run down that direction. That's a cool idea, but it's off mission. Like, oh, you're right. Okay, we'll come back on track. But that's a whole different thing than feeling like you got to kick these folks or pull on the rope to make them go. Because you're right. If you've got the best people, they'll figure it out, man. Now, I obviously want to give great systems to my great people. That's the best combo. But but there's no question which is more important to me. If you, mm. if you could only do one thing well, I would say hire well. So, what do you look for when you say, how do I determine who's best in the world at this? Yeah, so technical expertise is certainly a factor, but it's actually one of the lower factors in our mind. Okay. So for us as an overall organization, we have our purpose, our mission, our values, and yep. um, goals, and, and principles. And there's a two and a half hour orientation that covers all those things that I do. <laughs> nice. But the values describe who we are things like achieve great things or be a genuine human, which is shockingly a unique thing in this industry. Mm. <laughs> so those are the values we've described, the kinds of people, the morals, the vis- the values you have as a person. And we want to make sure that lines up with you. Then the other part of it that we often say is, are you on the journey to be best in the world of what you do? Mm. Notice how I phrased that. It's yeah. not necessarily, are you the best in the world today? Yeah. Because I don't need Tiger Woods, you know, carrying my caddy sack around. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> right. But I need people that want to become the best in the world caddy sack guy. Or we have people on staff that literally want to be the best in the world at painting. And they go extreme with it. They have different paint rollers and they do like YouTube videos and testing different brushes and techniques and stuff. It's are you on that journey to be best in the world at what you're doing? And as long as you are, as long as you're growing, as long as you're moving that direction, then you are a really good fit for the organization. If you're just here to punch a clock, I'm telling you there's many great companies that you can go work for, have great balance and stuff in their lives. It's just not us. That's not what we want to be. We want to be the game changers. And so if that's you as a person, then this is a great organization. That's That's beautiful. And certainly we want them to be able to become, have the technical ability. But the the way I phrase it sometimes is I, I think the first most critical skill is learn how to learn. And it's it sounds like these learners, these these self-driven, I, I want to be great at this thing. Even things most of us like, you know, commercial painting, right? I mean, it, it says, uh, this isn't Michelangelo painting, this is wall painting. And like, you can't be great at that. Yeah. Why, why not? It's a professional skill, right? It's a craft. Who says we can't become great at any one of these? That mindset and the practice that they are on that journey. And you know what? That's probably also strategic. It's probably a lot easier to hire those people than it is to hire the guy who's already Tiger Woods in his category, right? Um, it's harder. Well, to- we will. 
Yeah, we will hire Tiger Woods in this category if, if that's the position that we need to fill. Yeah, there's yeah. No question it, about that. But there's other positions like you've got a master plumber, you have journeyman plumbers, and you have apprentice plumbers. That's so what I say. They don't all do need to be that guy, yeah. right? That man or woman, you can get someone. She leads the team, so she can set the the bar. But but you can't have everybody do the same level, not an, and often functionally make it work. So just getting people who are on that journey. And then you put them with the right team and in the right space and give them the tools, they'll get there. Um, yeah, we do the same in my staff. I've got, I've got a certain number of consultants that are like rock stars, but we are constantly mentoring and developing um, folks that are have all the right horsepower, and are but they're earlier in their career. They maybe don't have 25 years of working with CEOs. But in the five years we've worked with them, they have all the right skills and horsepower and man, just give them another five, 10 years and they will be one of the world's greats. So that combination of pairing up tiger with the future tigers, maybe um, we found that to work really well. Exactly. And in fact, some of those newer employees, they bring something to the table that the older, more experienced people just simply don't have. And that's looking at the world differently. We have, a brand new employee that within a few weeks of being here invented something new is now a patented inventor in our company. Nice. Uh, we had, we have a lady who is, I think she's like 21 years old. She's a female and she is radically improving the way construction is done. she's working on lean processes and stuff. Yeah. She's brand new at it, but she is, she has just the knack, the mental horsepower that's changing it better than I could do. Yes. And so there, there's, there's, we need all sorts to come together to make this work. I love that. All right. So, so let me wrap up with this. Maybe I could keep going. I'm having a blast. Yeah. Like, what are you working on next? Where are you, maybe you as a leader or you as a, as a company, right? Norhart, where, where are you guys pushing? What's the new dip you're diving into that you're like, I don't know, we're going to figure this thing out. Like what's, what's the next step for you guys? What are some of the things you're playing with now? Boy, there's so much. Uh, so on the construction side, we're moving into manufacturing components offsite. So we have got our first factory now. It's producing wall panels. We've got another factory doing precast concrete. Both of those things were terrifying <laughs> and it'd been a lot of work. Uh, we're in that dip part of that phase. Uh, we're now moving to more elaborate buildings. So seven, eight stories with parking garage, like multiple levels of parking garage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the world of like PR and marketing, we're pushing on that. You know, one of the things I sat and realized was in Vegas not too long ago. And I love Gordon Ramsay and his restaurants. We were at his restaurants again this mm -hmm. last trip. And every time I'm there, like Hell's Kitchen has got a waiting list that you can't get in if you're if you're not oh, planned yeah. in advance. Like Burger is one of my other favorite joints of his. He's got like a 30 to 45 minute wait all the time. Guaranteed. Yeah. Every yeah. seat in that table, that room is full. But then when you look around the same casino, other equally amazing restaurants, they don't have that same degree of success. But what's the difference between those two? But Gordon Ramsay, he's built the know, like, and trust with his audience, his, his tribe, his people. Yeah. And so we're now on the journey of building that same kind of relationship with us and our sphere so that when we open a new building, we have a line out the door. When we launch new investment opportunities, as we are right now, that we've got a line of people that are excited to invest with us. And so that's another area that we're working on right now. That's awesome. And I can resonate. Um, like when we're getting ready for this, I was sharing with you. I've had a, a, a kind of thank God, blessed, crazy, awesome career and did it without doing any marketing, um, all word of mouth stuff, which what a cool thing. But 
But honestly, I say that with like wincing because I'm like, ah, I also finally realized a couple of years ago, only a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm being a bad steward of the opportunity and the situation. And so the way I'll put way, I'll speak for myself. I was being a bad leader, bad steward of the situation and opportunities because we were doing all this epic stuff and not really sharing it with anybody, not letting anybody know. I mean, I, I travel the world and I go to these epic trips and go inside world-class companies and it gets my normal day, right? And it's like, even if it's just to encourage and inspire and educate the others, I, I'm going to get to hang with guys like you, right? Like I, mm. we could have had this conversation just for the sheer fun of it and not hit record to your guys earlier, but man, I think it's one of those under-realized spaces, even if you don't air quotes need it, right? Even if you're, hey, this, why would a construction CEO uh, get into PR and social media and podcasts, right? Like uh, those don't match, man. I think people are hungry for, for people who want to share real stuff with them to share the lessons they're learning. I think it's, it's a blessing for them. And yes, what do you know? If you bless enough people and you pour into their life and add value over time, you build up people who know, like, trust you. And that ends up becoming a huge blessing back to you. I mean, it's um, exactly just reading and doing some kind of uh, thoughts and prayers and devotionals this morning. And, and this morning, the word was those who sow generously reap generously and those who sow sparingly reap sparingly. I mean, it's just one of the fundamental laws of the universe and so, I, yeah, for me, that's a big driving factor here is continue to sow and reap and, and pour out. And uh, that can't but help come back to you in some valuable ways over time. Build mm -hmm. that tribe. And hey, thanks for, for being so generous with your thoughts, your time, your insights. Um, man, I can't wait to see where you guys go next because what I have found is these things compound, right? The learners learn faster, which learn faster and who knows this, these will probably just the, the beginning days. Who knows what the, the next two or three chapters looks like for you guys. I love it. Yeah, I agree. And this is a lot of fun and boy, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on life and leadership, you might want to sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.scottwozniak.com slash upgrade. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K dot com slash upgrade. You'll get a cool quote, a deep thought, and a recommendation for something that I use and love. It's not long, and it should be fun. The theme is similar to this podcast, but it's not the same content. And if you're a leader who wants to build a legendary brand, you can check out my company's website to learn how we can help at www.swazconsulting.com. That's S-W-O-Z consulting.com. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine.